Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We're a church for imperfect people only. We're in our series, LA is Corinth. Because as we walk through 1 Corinthians, we see so many similarities between that city and ours. Like LA, it was a port city filled with wealth and immigration. It was a sports capital, second only to the Olympics. Like LA, it was extremely sexualized with Aphrodite as the goddess of love and her temple just outside the city. A part of worshiping her was sleeping with one of her 1,000 priestess. Lastly, like LA, the church was deeply divided along political lines. Sound familiar? And the whole time, Paul is trying to call the community of Christ to live Christian values in the midst of this culture, and it's a fight. As we walk through this letter, we are encouraged and called in the same ways to live for Jesus while living in L.A. All right, perfect. I'm going to reel us back in, and I hope you guys, it sounds really loud in here, so that's a great sign that you guys had a lot to share. Um, I know, right? Shifting the seats and everything. And... I know I'm like 100% positive that I could not list all the things you guys are probably saying. Uh, there is probably a plethora of options, right? Uh, some of you, maybe you saw a future house, uh, a future apartment, a place to live. Uh, maybe you saw a spouse, right? That girl or that guy you've been eyeing, they might be in this room, I don't know. Um, but maybe it was a job. Right? Because a, a certain job means money, it means wealth, it means stability, right? And we want, and sometimes we just desire a lifestyle, right? It's an aesthetic thing, it looks good, and you know, if it looks good, that's kind of what I want. And I, I think I could, I could really just go on and on, and we could do a whole sermon and just saying, like, this is what I desire. Um, but that's not really a sermon, or that's not really the point. And so for myself, if I'm going to have you guys answer this, I have to answer too, right? So I saw, and if you look into the next uh, image, I saw a new pair of kicks. Or not just one. It's got to be these four specific. Um, so these are Air Jordan 1 lows, uh, but they're very specific ones, right? So the one on the top left, that's the shadow grays. The one next to that, that's the breads. The Chicago ones. Oh, wait, wait. No, not yet. And then the neutral grays. They're very specific Air Jordan 1s where they don't, they have like a little tab, that Nike Air tab. It's a very specific detail. And if you touch the leather, it's like way better than the other Nike Air Lows. Like it, it's significantly better. And like today I'm wearing like just regular Converse, like boring. Um, right? But as I've, I've been exposed, the next photo, guess what this is? These are the shoes I have already. 48 pairs right there. Right? And you know the, the funny thing? That's not everything. That's the stuff that's unboxed. So there, I have even more than that. So I'm pretty sure my total collection probably hits somewhere around like 75, maybe like 85. Hopefully it doesn't hit the hundreds, Lord willing. Uh, it'll never hit the hundreds. But you know what's funny? Why is it that when I looked in the mirror, 
when I already have 48 pairs of shoes, I have actually way more than this, why is it that when I look in the mirror, I still see more shoes? Right? What do you think that says about my deepest, most desperate desire of my heart? You see, today, that's what this passage is kind of all about. That Paul, he wants to get this mirror and put it in front of the Corinthian church. And have them see, when they look into the mirror, what was it that they desired? And spoiler alert, it wasn't Jesus. Instead, they actually saw a manifestation of their deepest, most desperate desire. And so if you go to the next slide, and if you have your Bibles, actually, you can go to the next one. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 4. We'll We'll start here in verses 6 and then go on pretty much until the end. And so just really quickly, let me, let me read. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things. Right? By things, Paul means like division in the church. Okay, To myself and Apollos for your benefit, that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, Why do you boast as though you did not? So we've been going over, you know, 1 Corinthians and kind of the first three chapters, right? Paul's just been talking about the Corinthian division, right? Even though he talks about wisdom, he talks about all these things, it's really centered around the Corinthian division. And here he's saying that it's gotten so bad that they've actually gone beyond what Scripture has to say. And so he has to very clearly warn them, Don't go beyond what is written, right? Because when they started to go beyond what is written, they didn't follow Paul, Apollos, right? These leaders that are quote-unquote causing these divisions. They didn't follow them for biblical reasons. They didn't follow them for the love of the Lord. Actually, they followed them because of their leadership qualities, right? They were wise, they were powerful, they were eloquent, authoritative, they had high social standing, and they found ways to take pride in that. And this is why Paul, right, he has to put the mirror in front of them. And if you go to the next one, this is what we can call the Corinthian mirror. Oh, sorry, you were already there. Nice. The Corinthian mirror. And so that when we look into the Corinthian mirror, and when they look into their own mirror, they see what they truly desire. So that even Paul might show up, what they truly desire is the power, the influence of Paul, right? They might see Apollos, but actually, they just desire Apollos' eloquence, his wisdom, and they see all their different leaders that are kind of, that's why they're taking their sides. And each leader, it's just a reflection of the things they actually desperately desire. And the, the hard thing to, to see, I, I really think it's hard for me to see this too, is that just like the Corinthian church, we could look at our own church leaders that way. 
You know, Wilson spoke really, like, I think just kind words last week, right? If any of you were here, he, he was speaking about, like, Pastor Chrissy, Pastor Dave, Dr. Ken, and our elders, Jonathan and Kristen, and they were edifying words about their God-given character and their God-given giftings, right? He was talking about how he looks up to Jonathan and Kristen because they're so good at listening, right? It's, it's great. Or even when I think of Wilson, right, I'm willing to follow Wilson because Wilson's extremely personable, but he's also a lead pastor, so it's like, he also has authority, so he can tell me what to do. Um, oh, that made it a lot louder. Um, or even when I look at Auntie Chrissy, right, she's the wisest, the most experienced. She's slow to speak, slow to anger, right? And her husband, Dr. Ken, man, together, they epitomize that. And even there's other things, right? When, when I think of Pastor Dave, he's the best teacher and he's the best preacher. Sorry, Wilson. <laughs> right? But his exposition is just really good. You know, like, I, I, go, 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 Pastor Dave. Um, go, Pastor Wilson, too. <laughs> right? And I... When I think of Nina, right, I think of she's one of the best caretakers. Like, sh- no, you will feel so loved when Nina takes care of you. And these things are great, and they're 100% true characteristics of all these leaders. They're God-given gifts, God-given callings, God-given convictions, but amidst all of that, all of these things, all of these characteristics, who I really believe they are, sometimes we don't see the Jesus in them. We see the characters, we see the qualities, but do we see Jesus in them? And you know what? For the Corinthian church, they didn't see Jesus, right? That when they wanted to look good, they followed people who looked good. When they wanted to be rich, they followed people who seemed to have riches. And when they wanted a status, a platform, a certain aesthetic, they followed those people too. And just like the Corinthian church, we too could also possibly vie for certain leaders and people simply because they reflect our deepest, most desperate desire. And, like, to line it up, like, we do this everywhere. Like, I, I know for sure I 100% do this, like, almost everywhere I go, right? You know, you're doing this kind of in the church setting. We already talked about that. But you also do that in the work setting, right? You think of your bosses, your coworkers, your associates, your dream company. And a place I definitely see us doing this is that we do it on social media, right? You, you like, you follow the people you like. You're like, oh, yes, their life is kind of what I want. Oh, their aesthetic is kind of what I want. So you click that follow button. It's really simple, right? And one of the most, and I won't go too far into this because I don't want to cause arguments. We do it in politics, right? Who's your presidential candidate? Uh -uh. Okay, please, you don't have to share, (laughs) right? But the reality is that whoever your candidate was, was a reflection of your desires. 
Now, if you're hesitant to look into the mirror at this moment, I 100% understand. It's not easy. And it takes a deep reflection because you can't just look at it at an instant. You're probably staring at it. (laughs) You're asking, like, what is it that I see? And I was just at CM, and they were like, man, I really got to think about this. And that's okay. Take your time. I'm not going to force you. No one's going to force you. Take your time. And as you take your time, I want you to know that you have help. That Paul is actually here to help us. Right? And so if you show in the next verses, verses 8 to 11. It'll show. There you go. Perfect. And we kind of skip a little bit. But Paul, he truly cares. And he's talking to the Corinthian church because he cares. And when he says all these yous, if you look really closely, it, it feels like, at least for me, like it's like you, 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 right? He's talking to us because he cares. And he describes the Corinthian church, but he also describes us in this way. You have all you want. You have become rich. You have begun to reign. You are so wise in Christ. You are strong. You are honored. They have so much. The Corinthian church has so much. And if you didn't know already, the Corinthian church, they're probably the richest, most affluent church in all of Paul's ministry. That's why if you go to first, later in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul's literally obliging them, learn to give their finances, right? And now you might not feel this way, and I totally understand if you don't because of your personal situation, but statistically, we're the same, right? That if we talk about the entire world, right, all 7.4 billion people economically, if you're standing in this building, if you're in Southern California, if you're in any part of the United States, you're the top 2% of the world, The top 1% is like Jeff Bezos, and we're very far from that, you know? And so by association, our church is the top 2% of the world. And I don't mean to say that there's anything wrong with being wealthy or being well-off or being stable. But But this is exactly why Paul has to pick up the mirror and put it in front of us. Put it in front of the Corinthians, right? Because he's asking all of us, then when we look at everything around us, what truly is our deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts? Because the lifestyle that we live, when we have money, we have wealth, we have stability. We know it's a high standard of life. The difficult reality, and I wrestle with this too, is that our leaders, the people we follow, the lifestyle we go for, it's all a figurehead for what really is in our hearts. And you don't see Jesus in it. You don't see how he's gifted you with all those things, blessed you with all those things, and so you don't utilize it, right? You don't utilize it for him or his kingdom. And so Paul, right, Because he can't just be the only person to be 
like, the mirror can't just be in front of him. He actually takes that mirror, and if you actually read the whole discourse, it's like a flipping of back and forth, back and forth. You need to see me compared to you. And so Paul, he takes the mirror from the Corinthians, he flips it onto himself and the other apostles. Why? So that when we can't see Jesus, he will show us Jesus. That he cares so much that he wants us to, wants to show us Jesus. And so if you go to verse 9, it says this. For it seems that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Paul's talking about him and the apostles, and you know what they are? Clayton, you said this the other day. He says they're like the freak show of the circus. And the main act is them being put to death. Verse 10 to 13, right? In that same kind of like, like chunk of text, Paul keeps contrasting. He says for the disciple or for the apostles and himself that we are fools for Christ, that we are weak, that we are dishonored. That we go hungry, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. And the cherry on top in verse 13, he says, we have become the scum of the earth. Garbage of the world right up to this moment. What kind of life is that? (laughs) Who in the world would desire any of what Paul is going through? Because when I personally look in the mirror, I already told you, I don't see any of that. And I think it's safe to say none of us do either. And hear me out. Like, I, I really don't want you to hurt yourself. Like, don't put yourself in a bad situation um, this isn't meant to be, like, glutton for punishment kind of situation. Don't, don't do that. Like, that's not what Paul's getting to. But rather, it's that when Paul looks into the mirror, when we see Paul's mirror, what he sees, who he sees, is Jesus. He sees Jesus on the cross. He sees the risen Jesus, and he sees Christ with him and in him. And he also sees the church of Corinth. Because the deepest, most desperate desire of Paul's heart is Christ. To know Christ, to love Christ, to further Christ's kingdom by being like Christ. And he wants so desperately for the Corinthian church, and I think also for us, to know that. And he goes to great lengths to show it. Next verse, you'll see, if you can even follow in your Bibles, he says, we work hard with our very own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. I don't know if you see what I see, but what I see is Paul and the apostles represent the gospel. That Paul and the apostles, they understood that they deserve judgment for their sin, but God showed them mercy and forgiveness. Where they knew that they deserved punishment, 
We did too, right? We know that. But God instead has shown us grace. And hopefully it's changed the way we live. And then as we all look together, right, not just like in this room, but we're talking universal church. As we look to the cross, we see very clearly Jesus was cursed, Jesus was persecuted, and Jesus was slandered. But we also then see together how Jesus chose to bless, that he chose to endure, and that he chose to be the ultimate answer for the ultimate cost. It was our life for his. It was his life so we would have life. And this is the person, Jesus, that Paul sees in the mirror. And I think it makes that much more sense when in verse 16, and we just jump kind of towards the end, right? Paul says, imitate me. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I've shown you the mirror, back and forth, back and forth. Now imitate me. Because he knows and he has confidence that when he looks into the mirror, he sees Christ and he's imitating Christ. And I believe that if we were to get that same mirror, I don't know if we can be the ones to really put the mirror in front of Jesus, so I'm going to say it just lands in front of Jesus, right? The mirror just appears in front of Jesus. Now, do you know what Jesus would see? Do you know what Jesus' deepest, most desperate desire of his heart is? Well, I want, you to tell you the, I want to tell you the good news that it's us. Right? It's each person in this room. It's each person outside of this room that Jesus so deeply and so desperately desires us. For us to be reconciled, for us to know him, to love him, no matter the cost on his end. And I love how John Piper says it, and this is a play on his words, that God is actually most glorified when Jesus is the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. Paul and the other apostles, they imitated that so well. And just like Jesus, they counted the cost and they paid the cost with their life. Please don't. I, I, I just knew today was like going to be heavy because I knew what Paul was trying to get to. That it was something so strong, but it's also because it's so strong, it's so poignant that he also is trying to show you this is where strength and encouragement comes from. That when we as a church learn to acknowledge the cost that others have paid to follow Christ, that it's an encouragement for our souls. That we think of the cost of what did it take for you to get here now. You know, seven years ago, and this is really my last story for today. And so seven years ago, or maybe eight, now that Wilson said it, right? I might have to retract my numbers. 
And so this is my sophomore year of college, right? I, I went on my first short-term missions trip, and, you know, it was six weeks in East Asia. It's, a, it's epic, and it's college group. It's fun and dandy, and it's supposed to be a great time to love the Lord and love his people. And, you know, it's super hyped up, and I totally get it because it is very hype, and you should all go one day. But not the point. But at the time when I was like, okay, Lord, I think you're asking me to do this, I went to my parents and I told my parents, hey, I think I'm going to go on the missions trip. You know how they responded? They threatened to kick me out of my house. Or not in my house, it's their house. When I told them I had a support raise, you know what they said? Our son isn't a beggar. You're not our son. And this was the cost I had to pay. When I finished undergrad, I, I made the decision to go into ministry, specifically campus ministry. And I told my parents that because, you know, good children tell their parents what they're going to do sometimes. <laughs> right? And you know how they responded again? They said, why? What are you doing with your life? You're just throwing everything away. You can't keep depending on other people. You can't keep expecting them to help you. How are you going to keep living this way? This was the cost I had to pay. When I felt, when I came back and I had prayed for some time and I, I felt assured, Lord, I think you're asking me to go back to China at least for a year, maybe longer, um, and I told my parents again. My mom, after that conversation, she didn't talk to me for about four weeks. Every time we passed each other in the house, she literally just walked past me. Not a word, not a glance, just like a ghost. This was the cost that I paid. And three years later, I'm, I'm here, you know, I, I get to serve with Wilson, all these great pastors, but I'm so conflicted about living with my parents. I'm a broke seminary student. I'm here on staff, which is great. Um, but for the past two years of being on staff, I've waited for my parents to finally acknowledge what I do as a job. But you don't know how much it hurts when every time I talk about work, they say you need to get a job. I have one. At least I think I do. You, right? I'm here in front of you because I have a job. Right? Yes, I have a job. Right? But not to them. You see, I hope my story doesn't deter you. It, it doesn't make you fear desiring the Lord. I actually hope it does the opposite. Because I'm in front of you because I counted the cost and I decided it was worth it. <laughs> that everything I'm doing from then till now is worth it. Because Why? Because I see the lengths to which Christ has pursued us, 
his children. And I want that too. And my life, I, I really do think it's just like a speck, right? When I think the grand, like the grand fullness of God's worldwide church. I'm just one story in a possibility of two billion Christians out there in the world. That there are people in our very room, right, who have actually counted the cost too. That they've counted big and small. That they've taken paycheck cuts in order to serve here. That they've gone pretty much pro bono to work here. Um, how many pastors do you see go pro bono? <laughs> Meaning free, right? And that there are others in this room outside of that who have just taken their week and said, Lord, I give you a week. <laughs> a week of my break, a week of my work life, and Lord, I want to give that to you. Because I see you and I see your heart. And then when we just hop over on the other street over there, you know, I, I see so many people. I see Heather. I see the, the Whitmores. I know there's more families out here. And I, I will, I'm so happy to meet you when I get the opportunity. But they understood that doing this job meant letting go of certain assurities. It meant letting go of a normal nine to five, eight to five. It meant letting go of some of their weekends because, you know, your weekends are ministry time. And they counted the cost and said, you know what? This is still worth it. And then when we look even internationally, right, we see brothers and sisters who are martyred, who are persecuted who are literally deemed criminals simply because of a matter of their faith. And they're counting the cost. And when they look in the mirror, what do they see? They see Jesus. And it's all worth it. It's all worth it to see Jesus and to see his children being brought back home to him. And so church, I, I really struggle with this because it's like, what is my place to say this to you? But I hope we wouldn't turn our backs to the mirror. I hope that we would pause, we would quiet down, and we would let Jesus actually put that mirror in front of us so that we can ask the question, Jesus, are you the deepest, most desperate desire of my heart? Let me pray. Uh, dearly Father, Lord, Lord, I, I pray for a church, and I pray for myself, too. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that they might be struggling. They might be like, who the heck is Irwin? Which I totally understand, Lord. Who am I? But, Lord, I pray that that much more, that we would all quiet ourselves before you, let you put down the mirror, and let you ask us, what is it that we really desire?
And Lord, I pray that out of that place, Lord, each of them could see you, could see your heart for them, your heart for this world, your heart to be known. Because when you're known, Lord, we are too. We're your children. And so, Lord, I pray for each of these, each member here, each person here. Um, Lord, simply, would you be the one to put the mirror in front of them? May it not be a matter of guilt or shame, um, but, Lord, that you want their desire. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.